Brotherhood, multiplication, restoration. We are Sin Network. We're a family, planning churches together. Join us as we hear from leaders of this movement from across North America and discover what it really takes to plant churches everywhere for everyone. Welcome. Is this is this the thing? Is this thing on? Is this is when we started? This is our grand introduction to the We Are Sin Network podcast. Uh, welcome. I'm Dahadi Lewis, lead pastor of Blueprint Church and vice president of the Sin Network. Thank you guys for joining us for the live Q and A episode of the We Are Sin Network podcast. I have some leading practitioners, planters, men that I love, men I respect, um, on the call today. With Vance Pittman, Ed Kane, Sean Sears, Martin Vargas, James Roberson on the call. And so we are excited to um, take this time really to answer questions that you may have on for us um, during this time. What I love about this time and this podcast specifically is that you're getting the chance to talk to practitioners, like people who are real time in real situations, leading real churches when it comes to these, these, these areas around COVID-19. And so we're not talking about kind of like just principles and things. We're talking about real scenarios and real people. And so I'm really excited about doing that. And I'm going to let these guys kind of introduce, reintroduce themselves and then um, get into kind of where they're pastoring. And then we'll kind of jump off from there. So Vance, why don't you kick us off? Vance Pittman, uh, planted Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks, Vance, for being on. Ed? Yeah, Ed Kang from Grace Point Berkeley Church in Berkeley, California, where I think we had the first stay-at-home order uh, in the nation. Okay, you first off, you leading us off. Leading us off, kicking us off. Martin Vargas. Yes, Martin Vargas, uh, Iglesia Real in the beautiful city of Hollywood, uh, but Hollywood, Florida, opposite from Ed. Okay, Sean Sears. Sean Sears, Grace Church. We started in 2005 and we're just south of Boston. All right, James Roberson. James Roberson, uh, Brooklyn, New York, started Bridge Church uh, six years ago, downtown Brooklyn. All right. So again, these are practitioners and people in the field. All right. I, we want to hear from you. This time is you know, specifically for you. So we want to hear from you. So in the question section, go ahead and submit any questions you like our, you know, our leaders you know, to answer. So our leaders are here to address as many questions today as time permits. So we want to we want to get that. So start putting those questions in into that section and we will jump right in. As they're loading the questions, I would love for a couple of you guys just to talk about, like, this is COVID-19. You know, uh, two months ago, none of us would have thought we were in this situation. You know, we thought this was something, a pandemic that was happening overseas. It wasn't happening here. And now it is here. We have been, you know, quarantined for many of us for over a month now. And it looks like it's gonna be for another month or two. So it's just kind of like, we're, what are some of the things that you guys are doing as you're leading out in this area? Why don't we start with you, James? Like, what are some some ways that you've been leading out in this area? Well, you know, the, the first thing was just to get a broad scope of what was going on in my community. Um, <clears throat> we first wanted to make sure that um, if anyone had lost a job and uh, if anyone was dealing with COVID, we could offer any kind of care, counseling, and financial support. Um, we've had 
uh, four people in our community, uh, their family members die from uh, COVID-19. Um, and we've probably had over 25 people actually have the virus. So, uh, so the first front line was um, making sure people could find a test, making sure people weren't having anxiety, making sure people weren't afraid. And then um, for those frontline healthcare workers, nurses, funeral directors, uh, MTA drivers, you know, just checking in on them and making sure that their families were doing okay. Um, one of the unique challenges is uh, we had one young lady, two of her family members died in one week and her husband, uh, recently married husband is a MTA worker. And so there's just a natural fear now that they're dealing with. So, um, so the first thing, obviously, is just being priestly and shepherding my people. And I think the second thing is then looking at systems in order to create, to provide systemic care throughout the community. So, again, we created a financial system or financial um, financial assistance program, moved all of our groups online, started doing live programming uh, from there. So a lot of that stuff a lot of people are doing, but it's the uh, the care dynamic was probably the first wave of uh of mobilization that we had to do uh i'll tell you the last thing we did was um uh we use romans 12 10 as our kind of our framework um and romans 12 10 says be devoted to one another and uh, honor one another and so at 12 10 every day we have our folks set their clock to make sure you reach out to a friend or family member what we basically said say is every hand you can't shake needs to be a phone call that you make and so we do that um and then we have 1210 champions that actually we give them lists of people so it has kind of like a diaconate vibe and also an evangelistic vibe where we're constantly reaching out to our people and reaching our friends and family members and then the last part of that is that i do a devotional at 1210 on tuesdays and thursdays yeah Man, thank you for sharing that. I mean, because this is a real problem that's on the front door steps on of so many Americans across North America. And I think what's interesting about that, James, is that, you know, just what you're saying, like being in New York and specifically being in one of the, you know, the hotbeds is that like uh, my fear is that a lot of times people are going to come out of this and be like, oh, man, see, it wasn't as bad as we thought. But a lot of times because it it wasn't knocking on their doorstep, but just kind of as a pastor and as a leader, who it is, is who's seeing in real time, people are being adversely affected. Like that care and that pastoral dynamic is so critical for us to do this. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for sharing. And again, we're on We Are Sit Network, a special live edition podcast. I'm with some practitioners from all across North America. We want to hear from you. So again, put in questions in the chat menu, um, in the question section, so that we can address some of the questions that, that you may have. Vance, like, you know, I know for you, James talked about kind of that being hit on a on a care dynamic of people being like seriously adversely affected from a health standpoint. That you know, but for a town like Vegas, which is a huge entertainment industry, you know, how has it impacted your city? And um, and like, and what are you? What is your church doing about it? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, this thing is affecting everybody and it's affecting everybody in unique ways. Uh, the uniqueness of Vegas and some other cities across the country like it, like Orlando, Florida, and some of the, I'm sure where Mar Martini is down in Florida. A lot of what we do in Vegas falls in the category of non-essential. Um, it's just non-essential business. And it's the primary industries of our city that sustain us. So from an economic standpoint, obviously, 
Vegas has felt that. And one of the things after being in Vegas for 20 years, I've learned financially when, when things are great, Vegas is at the top of the way. But when things are bad, we're at the bottom of the crash. And so it's kind of mm. the Old Testament feast and famine. And from the 2008, 2009 collapse, we learned some lessons that had us better positioned and prepared uh, this time to walk through it economically. So our church had built a very strong reserve by God's mm. grace, and we're prepared to be able to to serve the community. And I think, you know, in thinking about this, this COVID-19, I think the thing that everybody needs to remember, and I know the guys listening all know this, but is that, you know, it's the Blackabeeism that God is always at work and God's at work for our good. And I think we have to think about that in two ways. And when we, when this first happened, we shifted in both of these modes. It's what God's doing in you and what God wants to do through you. The in you part is what James was talking about, the shepherding component of shepherding your people has to begin to happen. And so we did some of those same things James talked about, shepherding your people. Um, one of the things we leaned into, we punted our series that we were in the middle of at the time. We were in the middle of an important series in our church, but you know this circumstance changed that. And so we went to a series called Unshakable Promises, Never Changing Truth and Ever Changing Times. And every week I'm just bringing to light a new promise from God that's just shepherding our people into the promises. But then there's what God wants to do through you. And that's not thinking as a uh, shepherd, that's thinking as a missionary. And I think a lot of church planners need to realize right now, um, it's not just an obstacle to your meeting. It's an opportunity to advance the mission in your city like maybe never before. And so we shifted and began to look outwardly because we'd learned lessons in the past and were prepared with a reserve. We launched a whole Hope is Here initiative in our city, focusing on four areas, the hungry, the overworked, um, your neighbors, and then the elderly. Those were four kind of areas that we saw we were uniquely gifted to jump in and begin to serve, not in our church, but in the community to come alongside those that were hungry, that needed food, those that were overworked in pharmacies or grocery stores or hospitals, those that are elderly that can't get out, and then uh, finally your neighbor. How do you minister to those directly around you? So it's it's knowing God's at work and shepherding within and then living as a missionary without and seizing this moment is a great opportunity to join in what God's doing because he is at work in this. Amen. No, that's good. That's real, real practical, real fruitful things. Um, again, this time is for you as practitioners in the field. I have these guys. I want to rally these guys to hear from you. So we have some of um, uh, our first question. We're going to go to Noah. Noah Odom, which is one of our Sin Network pastors in St. Louis to give us the question. So what's the first question, Noah? Hey, Dehati, here's a question from Jim Tabor. He says, what is some advice for leading your staff or team when you're feeling the heavy stress of the season? How do you balance the urgency of working through this situation and shepherding them well as a team? Yeah, that's a great question. Sean, I would love for you to kind of pick that up and maybe Ed kind of um, follow up on him, but just... You know, Sean, as you kind of think about that, and I know you and you have a, a nice size um, staff team. How are you? How do? How would you answer that question? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I don't I don't know that I I have the right answer for that. I know that it uh, we're tempted to work harder. I I'm busier now than I I was before this. Um, I'm doing one or two Zoom calls a day. It feels like, and uh, my my life has gotten more complex, not less. And um, early on in this, I'd say maybe a week or two into it, when we started the church, uh, I found my identity in the success of the church and how other people would affirm that, right? And uh, I almost lost my marriage about four years into our church plant. 
And uh, by God's grace, everything went, went great. But my wife said to me, she said, um, uh, this is about three weeks ago now. She goes, you remember, you remember the way you were uh, 10 years ago? And I said, yeah. And she said, you're starting to do it again. Please don't. Uh, and that was a that was a Holy Spirit given throat punch. She meant, she said it so tender. Uh, it was just please please don't you know do that again kind of a thing. And 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 it was it was a great caution. And I needed to remember that the church is Jesus's bride. It's not mine. Mm. And um, I have a bride, and I'm responsible for her. And Jesus is responsible for his. Now I have a part to play in that, but I'm replaceable everywhere except in my home. Uh, I'm replaceable in our church. God forbid anything should happen. I'm not the pastor of grace. Grace will find another pastor, but there's only one man God intended to lead Billy Jane and it's me. So if I'm going to fail anywhere, it's it's going to be in our church building. It's not going to be in my home. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. so the conversation yeah. with our staff was the same thing, that your primary responsibility is to your family. And uh, you, you, you need to know what your responsibilities are this week. Make a list, right? Uh, but then, then, then leave that when you, when you go home and when you're home, you're present for your family. So I, yeah. I think it was making sure everybody's priorities are right. And I'm sorry that answer took too long. No, no, no. That was really good. And I think that's a you, you're spot on. I mean, the bottom line is you cannot give what you do not have and having a healthy you, you know, and being able to manage this tension well during this COVID season is so critical and being able to model that for your staff, I think is, is critical. Ed, what, what else would you add to that? Um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been, uh, really strangely kind of stressful, even though I'm sort of pacing around, not doing much. Um, I think, um, the early week of taking everything online, we're not an online presence at all. Uh, that was, that was stressful. And, um, now things are settling down into a, a regular rhythm. One of the things that I've been stressing for myself and for all of our staff is if you look at, um, the, the, the history of the church and the book of Acts, um, Every time something really bad happens, um, through it, the gospel gets to spread more. So uh, church planters, I mean, we're planting to launch a couple of teams uh, this summer. We're a collegiate ministry, and it looks like campuses might not even be open for fall. So that's a disappointment. But I think there's an opportunity here. We can't figure out exactly what that opportunity is, but I'm really, really pressing into. So I think we're sort of energized, like, okay, with constraints, there can come creativity and new ways that the gospel can spread. And so our methods might be uh, crippled, but maybe there's a, there's a way through this that's going to unleash a lot more gospel proclamation in an effective way. That's sort of what I'm hoping for. Good. Thanks, Ed. That's that's really helpful. Noah, what's the next question? Ed, how do you get a question revolving around our core value uh, restoration? Somebody said, I saw blueprints doing some COVID-19 testing. How did you make that happen? And how can a smaller church help with that? And then piggybacked onto that, what are some practical ways that churches, especially smaller church plants, can get involved in restoration work in this season right now? Yeah, I think that's a great, great question. I think one of the things that we have to always ask ourselves, instead of like thinking about what can we do, Jesus always looked and he always asked his disciples, what do you have in your hand? And, you know, and ultimately just kind of looking at whether the five fish, the few loaves that we have in our hand, what can we do? And so as a church, we've just basically started looking at like our our membership, our our, our core. 
And we basically started asking, and it was in them, just empowering them to do ministry where life exists, that we have in our church a lot of doctors that are in our medical and healthcare professionals. And these were people who are already on the front line, but they also saw that there's a disconnect between those that are marginalized and a lot of the neighborhoods that we're in and that we're ministering to. So we was just like, there was a, a, a tremendous need, you know, and then there was also... Um, uh, something that we had within our church that didn't take a lot for us to mobilize. And we said, how can we take the the little that we have in our hand and, and make much of our savior? And so I think that I would encourage churches when it comes to the issue of restoration of holistically ministering, it's just kind of figuring out instead of trying to figure out, okay, what do all the mega churches or the mega this have? It's like, what do you have? You know, what resources do you have from within and what needs and what are some things that you can um, address immediately? So we wanted to do something that didn't take a whole, you know, five, six, eight weeks to kind of get together, because by that time, who knows if it's going to even be relevant. But what can something that we can implement immediately? Um, Martin, do you have anything else like that you would say just kind of around you know, just ways I know that you are really good at just mobilizing people and going all the way from different hurricanes and different, like, how are you doing that? Well, I think that, that what I've been learning in this in this case of a crisis is that we are more creative than what we think we are. And I think that also we are more generous than what we think we are. And uh, now, regardless the size of the crisis, uh, sometimes you mobilize from one country to help. But now where you go, every country has been affected. But that doesn't stop that you're starting your hometown in New Jerusalem. Uh, right now, for example, one example is I've been with the mayor trying to get help for the hospitals, for the doctors, nurse, uh, food or whatever thing that they need. And one of the biggest need is the protection shields. But I don't have the way to, to build those, but uh, Another pastor, Bruce, in Tampa is doing it. So he helped me to, to get those and put it in the hands of our doctors and nurses soon, by tomorrow. So we find a way. Uh, this, I, I want to go far uh, during the crisis. And the way to do it is partnering with others. Uh, it's, it doesn't matter the size of your church. Yeah, and that's what I loved about the idea that we are a network that not only can you look within, but the fact that, that we are a part of a network of churches in a, you know, that we have the ability to reach out into the, something that we may not be able to do individually as a church, we can do collectively as individuals. Beth, it like you want to say something? Yeah, I, when we, we when this thing broke, we we pulled all our planters together in Vegas quickly and we, we gave them, and I just want to give three practical answers to that question. Every church, no matter how what size it is, every church has a hospital that's close to you, a school that's close to you, and some type of elderly care center that's close to you in some way. It may be a few miles, but every one of them have one close. If you start there, go to the school. Every school that closed has children that need the food that they were living off of in that school provided for them, and a lot of them don't have transportation to get to the food. So go to the school and start with, how can I get food and get it to children that need it? Go to the hospital and say, how can I shop for the people that are working around the clock? What are their needs list? Anybody, it doesn't, you don't have to be a big church to go to the grocery store or Costco for some hospital workers or some first responders. 
And then the third thing is uh, the elderly by, by providing shopping for them. And the other thing every community is running short on right now is blood. We contacted our blood bank. They're coming to do a mobile blood drive in our parking lot for the day. And a small church can call a mo- mobile, any church can call a mobile blood bank. They'll come to your church. They'll set it up and you can have a blood bank for the day and you can help serve the city. So those are three or four very practical. You can do that today. Call a school, call a hospital, go go meet with the staff, call the blood bank. You can start right there. That's great. Thanks, man. All right, Noah, what's next? Hey, the next question is coming from Sean Peoples. He said, we're in the middle of building our core team, just created a discipleship plan. We're not going to launch until the fall. What concerns or things do you think I need to think through as the crisis hasn't stopped and um, that we're planning to launch in the fall? What should we be thinking about right now? Good. Yeah, that's a great, great question. So how do you continually build your core team in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic? Who wants to jump in on that one? None of us had to build our core team during this. Yeah. Time. I think this guy, <laughs> yeah. if that guy, Sean, if you do it, man, you're going to, there's your book right there. <laughs> well, I, Adi, I'll say this. I, when Hope launched, we launched two weeks after 9-11. So it wasn't COVID-19, but it was a crisis that kind of stopped the country for a few weeks uh, after, after September 11th happened back in 2001. And here's the mistake that I made. I didn't know enough at the time. We went ahead with our launch. Um, Don't focus on the launch right now. Focus on being a missionary in the city. We're not called to plant churches. We're called to make disciples. And as we make (laughs) disciples in the city, churches are born as a byproduct. This is an incredible window of opportunity that you may never see another one like it to serve people that were not open to you serving in the city two weeks ago or a month ago or six months ago are now wide open to you serving in the city. So there are missionary opportunities like never before. Focus on the city, focus on engaging the city, focus on making disciples and let God launch the church when he's ready to do that. That's good. Yeah, that's a great. He can right now uh, position himself as a resource to the community influencers. Uh, I wrote a letter to all of the town managers. We don't have a mayor. They're more town rep uh, set up and just told them that our church was available, that I was already praying for them. But if they needed anything, we had limited resources available, but we've well, every church has volunteers and we have access to more volunteers than anybody. We can organize and and mobilize volunteers with an email. Uh, And that's what most towns uh, need need that even Sean, Sean would have. I mean, he does have a core team. All right. That's six people that you have available to serve your mayor uh, at the drop of a hat. So, I mean, just reaching out, sending a letter uh, to just to your town leaders, uh, school superintendents, that type of thing, I think I think would be a great thing that he could do now. Yeah, that's really good. I think one of the the, the statements is true, and I'm wearing my 1002 hat just to kind of remind us, it's like the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And I think especially right. in this time in COVID-19 pandemic, that those realities, those two realities scream out at us, you know, that one, that the harvest truly is plentiful because there's no other time where people are genuinely, they recognize that there is no control. They don't have any control over this pandemic. They're, they're searching for answers. But then also the harvest can be few, that this is the time for the church to not lose our identity, you know, as indigenous disciple makers and for us to not just simply go into kind of self-preservation mode, but that we are, we could be mobilized in this time to, you know, to attack the gates of hell and to be able to be a conduit of God's grace in this season. So I think that that, that is, that's good. 
Noah, what else you got for us? Hey guys, what long-term changes do you foresee COVID-19 resulting in in terms of how we do church on a weekly basis once it's gone? Yeah, James, I would love for you to kind of hit that yeah. um, as well, especially as somewhere that's kind of a hard-hit city. And then, Ed, I would like for you to to follow up. You know, as a hard-hit city, you know, I mean, how are you thinking that this impact would be even post, you know, the reopening of our country? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's a little harder here is it's been a little bit more challenging to be innovative. Um, there's a constant 800 people are dying every day in New York City. And um, so you're always hearing an ambulance. And that's just real. Like you hear it pretty much three to four times a day. And so there's kind of a trauma that's happening to a lot of people um, simply because they're always reminded of that element of death. Um What's actually been a, a very beneficial corollary to that has been um, moving our groups online. So being here in New York City, one of the great challenges we always have is time poverty. Um, it, it's because of transportation. It's because of just people living. And our church is very regional. And one of the benefits that we found was through uh, Zoom or you know Google Meet or Google Hangout, uh, we've been able to become much more uh, uh, slick and accessible uh, because of using online uh, elements. The other thing is, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but evangelistically, people are more willing to share a link than invite people to a place. So the reality is, is that evangelism has been, uh, because it's become so easy to show their friends the church, as opposed to get them to come, it has mobilized evangelism in ways that we we just never would have imagined. So I think now what we're peering onto is how do we deal with online membership? What do we do about people that have joined our community from North Carolina, people that have joined our community from you know different parts of the country that are not as accessible and yet they're growing? Um, those are things that I used to look at and kind of laugh at before. Um, now it's a reality in our own community. So we're, we're kind of walking through. But I guess the long term effect is that online online community for us is here to stay. It's now managing that online community and helping people to say the presence of one another is the is primary. We, we need to be around one another. But we have to realize that accessibility and evangelism are happening in new and broad ways that uh, we will not change. And, and one, one avenue, one thing that some have talked about is online membership. We're not really sure about that, but um, they're all things we're wrestling with now because of the accessibility that God has given us uh, through this. Um, I would say the last thing is long-term care. There's a lot of uh, long-term care and therapy uh, that we're using through online portals um, that we're going to have to keep employing because of the effect that it's having on people here in the city. Yeah, I love what you're saying, James. It's the, the the idea that when we talk about the post-COVID-19 after, like a lot of times people think about the physical realities, but what you hit on the idea of the trauma that people have. So even when the country is reopened, there's still going to be trauma that people are, you know, are going to still have to work through. And I think that we need to become a lot more emotionally sensitive to addressing that trauma you know, as we're, in, you know, in our ministry and how we're engaging, you know, and then we also create platforms that are going to be able to, to allow people to take those steps back into real um, 
you know, real community and real gatherings. It's not going to just be like, okay, it's back open. Everybody go back. It's not going to be just that simple. So we need to think about the onboarding, like how do we ramp back up, you know? And so like being able to do that. The other thing is, is what you talked about, the online communities. I think that we're going to have to begin to think through like, um, how are we leveraging that, you know, um, on online platforms um, beyond, beyond this. I actually have a a time that I, I got on with Ed Stetzer, a guy named Bobby Greenwall, Pastor Bobby Greenwall, and um, Biker Freeze is talking about online communities. And we may make that resource available for everybody on one of the We Are Sit Network podcasts of just like, what does that look like for online communities? But Ed, I would love for you to kind of hear from you and what your thoughts are um, surrounding kind of the future. Um, yeah, I think um, echoing what James said, um, we, um, because we're in collegiate ministry and, you know, uh, college students um, in some ways are very cutting edge in terms of their use of social media, but co- college ministry is actually quite stable and quite um, localized around the campus. And so we've never developed an online strategy of any sort. And now we're thinking about um, generating a lot of shareable content that's, that's short uh, for evangelistic purposes. I think discipleship will have to stay embodied. I don't think there's a, a way around that. Maybe there is, but um, I think being the body of Christ embodied, having a, um, kind of a, a rooted in, in a sense of place, I think all of those values are going to be here to stay. But I think online doesn't have to compete with that. So we're grappling with what kind of values and limits and cautions we can put around it. But we're, we're going in for online because I just don't think we're going back to normal and whatever normal we go back to. Uh, ideas of social distancing and kind of frowning upon large groups, I think, are, is here to stay. Where we restructured our ministry during this time for groups of ten, because I'm anticipating wow. that the next phase is everybody like no longer than groups, no larger than groups of ten. And so, just like the Communist Party in China has been really healthy for the Christian movement there, um, like it's something we've been thinking about, but now we've forced to accelerate that. So, I'm looking forward to raising up of a lot more lay leaders. By forcing us to to scale to those units. That's great. All right, fellas, well, I really do appreciate the time that we have. I would love kind of like in one, like a speed round, each one of you guys to give us like one 10 second, like exhortation to each one of the planters as we kind of conclude our day. And so if everybody can just give kind of like one one charge, like again, 10 seconds or 15 seconds or less, um, just to each one of the planters as we um, move into this next season. Let's start off with you, Martin. Well, I would think that, that my, my encouragement will be that remember that all crises move us. And it can move us in the negative way or in the positive way. Uh, let's move to the positive way. Let's take the good thing that we learn during this process. The Lord is working with us. So uh, is, if it is how how to make better our our system uh, to reach people and to be with people. So let's do it. Amen. Thank you. Sean? Um, God knew this was going to happen, and he's already worked it into the story. While this caught us off guard, it didn't catch God off guard at all, right? And, um, um, yeah, he, he got, God saw this company. He's worked it. Worked it and what this is doing is this is forcing us to prioritize the individual uh, person over the weekend programming. And I think that in church world, it gets too easy to default to just running a show every week. And this oh, is forcing sure. us to customize discipleship pathways uh, around the needs of the individual. And I hope that that doesn't change after we come out of this. 
Thank you. That's a good word. Good word. James. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's prepared beforehand so we might walk in them. And so that means before the foundation of the world, God knew every church planter that was going to be in place. He knew every church that was going to be mega. He knew every church that was going to be small. He knew our leadership capacity. He knows our ingenuity. So what I love about that passage is that it says we're his workmanship. And he says we don't only need to walk in what he has prepared. So God has we may not feel like we have what it takes, but we are the moment has been prepared for us in this generation. So I don't think that we have to, you know, you might be listening to these other church planners and feel like I got to be more something. You don't have to be anything else. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and That's lead right. out of what God has already given you as opposed to you need to be something different. That's awesome. That's a great word. Great word. And yeah, I think the church model. Um, so for church planters, I think the church model where we're saying like, please show up at this hour at this location. Uh, that seems to be uh, almost um, not not really going to come back in any big way. So as a church planter, you know, you're not really disadvantaged by not having a building and a plant and a big budget. I think all of us are sort of it's level the playing ground and maybe yeah. like really creative ways of planting churches and preaching the gospel and lifting up the name of Jesus is available to all of us. So I want to encourage you to just look at this time as a time of great opportunity. That's good. Close this out, Vance. I do think we will get back to a level of normalcy. Um, the world has survived two world wars, plagues. Our country survived terrorist attacks. And time always brings us back to a level of normalcy. But this won't be the last crisis we face. There will be more crises in the future. And here's the thing I would say to every church planter. If you are not already partnering with your city when crisis happens, you won't have a seat at the table when the crisis is going on. And so develop relationships today, engage the city today, because when the next crisis comes, it's your partnership in the city now that will give you a seat at the table in the heat of the crisis that allows you to minister like you wouldn't be able to do without it. Man, this is all great words. Thank you guys, fellas. I really appreciate it. And our planting couples, thank you for, for joining us. And remember this, we are Sin Network. We are Sin Network. Thank you for joining us today live for, for this. Like We couldn't get everyone's questions in, you know, in the very limited time. But it would be a huge help for us to, you know, if you would join other church planners and pastors and, you know, and talking, you know, about this, you know, and just getting together, as Vance just said, like, you know, invest in the relationships now so that in times of crisis that we will be ready for this. That there is a, 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 a pastor's poll that we would love for you guys to get engaged as we can consider to continue to think through this weekly poll of how we can better serve you. Like if this is helpful, then let us know because we want to be helpful because we are Sin Network. We can do more together than we can apart and we are stronger together than apart. So thank you guys. Thank you, pastors, practitioners, friends, you know, Vance, Ed, Sean, James, Martin. Like we really appreciate you guys. You guys have a great day. God bless you. You have been listening to We Are Sin Network a resource of the North American Mission Movement. For more information about today's podcast and other relevant resources, visit sendnetwork.com.